What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Hot Take, where I, along with my co-hosts Nat and Lawrence, give you our hottest takes on all things NBA. Unfortunately, tonight, or maybe fortunately, it's just me. Actually, it's unfortunate because then it'll be a little bit boring. There's not going to be any back and forth banter or debating going on. But tonight is just me. That's all right. We're going to push through. I'm going to give you guys the top stories of the week, plus um, some of my personal hot takes for this week's episode. But before we get into, of course, all things NBA, I just briefly wanted to talk about the Jake Paul, Ben Askren fight. Yes, I do watch, you know, boxing, mixed martial arts. I I do watch from time to time. And I just briefly wanted to talk about this. You know, prior to the fight actually happening, as much as I dislike Jake Paul, I really wanted Ben Askren to win. But I knew deep down that Jake Paul was going to be the victor. The reason I knew this is because, number one, you clearly saw Jake Paul take training camp way more seriously. He came in in, you know, tip-top shape. You know, opposed to Ben Askren, who I saw, I heard one commentator say he looked like a bag of milk. You know, that's that's just the physique that he came in. Nevertheless, Ben Askren is you know a world class athlete, as he says, but he's a world class athlete who hasn't fought in a while, and you know, is coming back from injury and didn't take training camp very seriously. He's not known for striking. He's more of a wrestler. He's more, you know, of a takedown artist. Not known for striking, just a couple of weeks out, you know, he kind of learned how to throw punches here and there. Next thing you know, first round, not too many minutes into the first round, Jake Paul knocks out Ben Askren. Ben Askren gets up to his feet. You just saw right away the way he stood up. He had no legs underneath him. He couldn't walk straight towards the ref. Ref calls the fight. The other reason why I knew Jake Paul was going to win this fight was because you see it a lot in sports. When you have a chip on your shoulder, when you have something to prove, you use that to fuel you. For example, in Jake Paul's corner, a few days ago, he had lost his security guard, so he dedicated this fight to his security guard. He knows and understands that nobody believes that he's a fighter. He knows and he understands that everybody wants him to lose, and he uses that as fuel. Look at teams just within the past year that have done the same thing. For example, you have going back to more recently. We'll start with more recently. You have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? At the beginning of the year when Tom Brady signed with the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, nobody believed that they were going to win. Nobody believed they were going to make it to the playoffs. Everybody thought they were going to lose. And then to get to the Super Bowl facing the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs, everybody thought Kansas City was going to win, including our friend of the show, Nat. He thought Kansas City was going to win. Yes, Nat, I'm calling you out. Regardless... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they use that as motivation. They carry that chip on their shoulder. We're not supposed to be here. Nobody believes in us. We're a bunch of guys just thrown together, and nobody thinks we can do it. And each and every single step of the way, they prove people wrong. Miami Heat, last season, everybody said Jimmy Butler needs another superstar beside him in order to even get to the playoffs or to make a deep run into the playoffs. 
Yeah, what did we see with Miami all season long last year, including in the bubble? Nobody believes in us. Nobody thinks we can do this. Nobody thinks that we can make a, make it to the playoffs. Nobody thinks we can make a deep run in the playoffs. Nobody thinks that we can make it to the NBA Finals. Now that we're in the NBA Finals, nobody thinks that we're going to beat the LA Lakers. Nobody thinks we're going to be get one game out of them. What do they do? They get one game. Nobody thinks we're going to get two games out of them. What do they do? They get two games. Unfortunately, at the end, it you know didn't work out fully. But nevertheless, it's similar to what Jake Paul was experiencing, where you have these situations where you have a chip on your shoulder. These guys have something to prove. Ben Askren, on the other hand, had absolutely nothing to prove. He even said in you know pre-fight interviews that this fight didn't really matter to him because as soon as the fight was done, he was going to go back to coaching wrestling and work on his podcast. That's all he cared about. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, I'm just saying Jake Paul felt like he had more to prove, which is why I had a feeling going into the fight, it was not going to go the way everybody wanted or anticipated. I had a feeling he was going to win the fight. With that said, I would like to see who he decides to fight next. There's talks that it might be uh, Tommy uh, Fury, um, Tyson Fury's younger brother. I think that'll be a more interesting match because he's now actually fighting somebody who has boxing skills, somebody who's known for boxing as opposed to MMA. But... With that said, we move on to our NBA top stories. We're going to start with probably the biggest story all week long. I would have to say has been Stephen Curry. I know Nat would disagree with that. You know, he he likes to sip on that haterade whenever we talk about Steph Curry. But at the end of the day, I feel like you cannot ignore... And you cannot not appreciate the greatness that is Steph Curry because of the things that we're seeing. For example, this entire month, this month of April, he's averaging 40 points a game. He's leading the league right now. Just to give you a little idea of what this month has been like for Steph Curry, I'm going to throw some numbers at you, this uh, hot streak, if you will. He has had 32 points, 36 points, 37 points, 41 points, 32 points, 38 points, 53 points, 42 points, 33 points. More recently, 47 against the Celtics and 49 last night against the Philadelphia 76ers. He's doing all of this while shooting on average it's in the fifties, both from, you know, mid three and beyond, you know, he's, he's shooting lights out right now. When you're talking from deep, the, the numbers that he's putting up are staggering. I mean, I I saw a stat where, or I heard a stat that, you know, he's averaging maybe, or last night against the Sixers, he took what, 15 or 16 threes. It's absurd that somebody takes this amount of shots from deep, and is shooting that efficient, 
you know, that efficiently. Most cases, you see somebody chucking up more shots, their numbers go down. That's the complete opposite for Steph Curry. The more shots he goes up, the better it is for the Warriors, because not only is he shooting better, but he's getting more points. And that's exactly what Golden State needs right now to even make it into the at least the play-in series. They need him to do that. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. This is not the Golden State Warriors of years past where there's ball movement, there's you know, setting screens, back screens, whatever the case is. This year is not like that. Steph Curry, if you will, kind of has to be like a James Harden where he has to have the ball in his hands in order to give this team a chance. That's the bottom line. That's the honest truth. And I'm not going to lie. I'm, I like it. I like seeing it. I don't know if you guys saw it, but he had this one. It wasn't a three, but he got fouled playing against Boston. He was near the three-point line. As he got fouled, he chucked it up left-handed, and it still went in. It's like whatever this guy throws up is going in. And I'm here for it. I'm all about it. This, like, throughout the, like, a really down, crappy year that has been the 2020-2021 NBA season with injuries and COVID and whatever, it's nice to have, like, this highlight, you know, something to look forward to, something to get you excited. And it's just mind-boggling. It's like, how is this guy even doing this? This is... I don't recall the last. I don't in in the history of the NBA. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. This streak that Steph Curry is currently on, you know what I mean? And like, it, it was wild because at one point throughout the week, there was a stat where it was like, okay, the Norland Pelicans for that week they had twenty six three pointers made. Washington Wizards twenty nine three pointers made. Sacramento Kings, 33 three-pointers made. Orlando Magic, 33 three-pointers made. The team collectively as a whole for that week, that's how many threes they had. Steph Curry alone had 36 threes. He alone outscored, what, four or five teams when it comes to shooting threes? That's the number of threes that this guy is is taking and on top of that he is the first player to make 70 plus threes in a 10 game span 70 plus threes in a 10 game span and i think you know i saw at one point he he broke kobe bryant's record for you know most number of games, you know, scoring a certain amount. It's absolutely, and you know, of course, like the sports world is just going crazy. Everybody's like, you know, witness this greatness. And, you know, he, th- th- this is another stat that kind of blew my mind. Okay. Steph Curry alone has six games with 10 or more threes. This season six games with 10 or more threes this season no other player has more than five in their entire career 
in their entire career. And Steph Curry has done this in six games this season. Really, truly a game changer. When you talk about the the Mount Rushmore of influential, most impactful players, you have to put Steph Curry up there because he truly did change the game. He really did. And it's absolutely absurd. Props to Steph Curry. I'm excited for him. I know this, se- this season has not been what they anticipated. You know, I- I'm excited to see what will happen for next season because I don't believe they're going to make a deep run in the playoffs. But what I liked about what I'm seeing from Steph is all this talk about, you know, when they had KD, they brought in KD. It was, you know, Steph can't do it anymore. He needs all these other pieces, whatever the case is. Last year, you know, with the injury and then COVID happening, the team not making it to the playoffs, and then the heartbreaking news at the beginning of this season with Clay not being able to play for the whole season. And then this is just Steph Curry proving not only to himself but to the whole world that he is still a top elite player. He is literally carrying this team on his back to just make it even into the playoff series. The play-in series, rather. And I, I I, wish Nat was here because, you know, he hates how much love Curry gets as opposed to LeBron, you know, when LeBron had all these. But the thing is, in the last, you know, five whatever years, I think I can only recall one instance where LeBron had to carry his team in the last five years. That was uh, the first time that they met the Warriors, you know, that first finals where he didn't have Kyrie, he didn't have Kevin Love, he carried his team. But other than that, like, LeBron has had pieces. He has had all-star caliber players alongside him. This season, Steph Curry is literally doing it on his own. Literally. Like, I'm granted, you know, they have guys holding their end of the bargain, doing their thing. But at the end of the day, I, I read to you all the numbers earlier. It just sees. I'm just absolutely astonished. I'm amazed, and like was wild to me too. And I, I want to bring this up because Bill Simmons actually mentioned this in his book. You know, the book of basketball. That, like, for example, Michael Jordan, or mainly all the greats. The greats they have different evolutions throughout the their entirety of their career. Michael Jordan had, I believe, Bill mentioned four. You know, there's certain eras where, like, you see the the how one player was great at different stages of their career, right? So, like, you have MJ who went through different stages of his career and through each stage progressively became more and more great. That by the time the 1998 season came, even though Mike wasn't as athletic as he used to be, he was the greatest version of Michael Jordan because of everything else that he could do. We saw it with Kobe. When Kobe first came into the league, he was a high flyer. He would just chuck up shots. We, but then, you know, when the 2000s came, when they won the, 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 their first three-peat, and you saw how he, he started to change his game. And then after, you know, that three-peat ended – There was that really tough stretch where, you know, it's just him literally carrying the team, you know, dropping 81 points against the Toronto Raptors. And then all of a sudden you saw another stage of his career with, 
Pal Gasol and Lamar Odom. You saw a different evolution of Kobe Bryant, and you saw the masterfulness of what he was able to do on the court. And we also saw it with LeBron when, you know, from the time that LeBron came into the league to where LeBron is now, it's just like MJ, where it's like this, this almost aging, like a fine wine where like each stage of their career, there's something to appreciate more and more about them that adds to their greatness, their overall greatness. And I feel like right now, Steph Curry is probably in about his third stage, his third evolution, if you will, because when he first came into the league, heavily injury prone, he had the bad ankles. And then, you know, in the 2013, 14 season, you kind of start to see something like, you know, they're onto something there. And then 2015, you know, completely changed the game with the, t- the amount of threes that he was taking. And then now we're seeing, and then when KD came, you know, he kind of took that back seat, changed up his game a little bit. But now we're seeing another version of Steph that might even be more exciting than that 2015 version of Steph Curry that we saw because he's putting up more, more than 10 threes a game, more than 10 threes a game. How wild is that? And I'm loving it. I love this. Speaking of loving things, one of the other top stories that I'm sure everybody saw, everybody kind of did the side eye emoji to, Zion Williamson uh, recently played against the New York Knicks in MSG, Madison, Madison Square Garden. Mecca of basketball, as he said, and as it's well known as. And post game, you know, they asked how it felt for him. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was his first time playing in MSG while in the pros. I know he played when there when he was in Duke. And the amount of sheer joy on this man's face, how his face literally lit up when he was asked that question. And how excited he was to tell people how much he loves playing in MSG. And it kind of made you do the side eye where it's like, you know, the Knicks were hoping to get him last year. You know, the Knicks were hoping to draft him, but they fell, you know, in the lottery to that fifth pick. Zion ends up going number one. The Knicks have RJ Barrett, who we all know played alongside Zion in college. Who's, you know, who knows what a few years can bring? Maybe he ends up in New York after a few seasons. Who knows? Could you imagine Zion playing in MSG alongside his his college teammate? You know what I mean? Like, they clearly have a great relationship. I would... I'm, he's almost like a foreshadowing. Like, who? Like, oh man, I don't know what it is, but there's a piece of me that really thinks it, it could be a possibility. If things don't work out in in New Orleans, you know, with how their season has been going, and I don't know if there's going to be changes in the future, but if, he clearly loves playing there, and he showed out. And I think if you put Zion there in MSG, you're going to see a lot of. Maybe not like mega superstars, but you're going to see some big names wanting to go play in MSG, bring some life back to the garden, even though life has been brought back this season because the Knicks are straight up balling out right now. 
I'm not mistaken, I believe they're in like sixth or seventh place right now. I, I believe sixth. Miami's in seventh, if I'm not mistaken. But who knows what what you know bringing Zion to New York would be like? I think it would be exciting. I'm I'm from New York. I would love to see Zion play here for the Knicks. I think he would look great in a Knicks uniform. I don't think you know. Our co-host here, Lawrence, who's a Knicks fan, I don't think he would disagree with me. I think Lawrence would appreciate that. So here's to hoping. You know, I know Knicks fans, we always get our hopes up and things never seem to pan out, but I don't know. I got a feeling about this. We'll see if I'm right. I guess we'll stay tuned and see if I'm right. The other thing I wanted to co- you know, cover in today's podcast is teams that we don't typically focus on i feel like in the past few podcasts has been you know lakers nets miami philly you know like the usual suspects this week i kind of wanted to focus more on teams that we don't necessarily talk about as much and one of them is boston and how boston has bounced back because it was pretty rough there for boston for a hot minute I think at one point they slid down to the eighth spot. Currently, they are, I believe, in the fourth spot, fourth or fifth spot. Um, I just think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're just playing at a different level, and it's a level that Boston needed them to play at. And I also feel like the pieces that they acquired from free agency, or not free agency, but from the trade deadline, are starting to somewhat pan out a little bit. Uh, I know Evan Fournier, he hasn't been completely healthy, but when he is there, he's another option. Luke Cornett, you know, I saw highlights from Luke Cornett, and he's a phenomenal passer. He's somebody that he's a good, he's a decent rim rim runner. And then I also like that Boston recently signed Jabari Parker. Jabari Parker was a big name coming out of high school, coming out of college. Not so much in the NBA, you know, mainly due to injuries, maybe the systems that he was playing in, whatever the case is. And I, I really hope that I never lost hope in what Jabari Parker could bring. I was happy that he signed in Boston because I think it's a really good fit where he could be a solid role player for them coming off the bench. Because even though Boston's playing really well, I still think they're depth can be an issue but I think with Jabari there I think that does help with Luke Cornett there I think it does help having guys like Evan Fournier you know getting young guys like uh, Peyton Pritchard you know he's getting those minutes under him and of course with your two superstars and what I like about these two superstars is either of them can go off on any given night we saw the other night with that comeback against the Grizzlies, um, not the Grizzlies, the Nuggets, right? They went on something like a 30, 31-3 run. I think Jason Tatum dropped like, what is it, 53 points? And then not too many nights after that, you know, JB, Jalen Brown's going off too. You know, he's lighting it up. So it's nice that they have that balance where if one isn't, able to produce you have the other one that you can rely on and you know with Kemba starting to become healthy again I think that adds to the help I think that's something that they needed 
Um, in terms of long term, I mean, well, you know, I've heard different theories on Boston for this season. I've heard theories that they could be this year what Miami was last year. How Miami was kind of the sleeper pick and they make it to the NBA Finals. There's theories that Boston could be that team where they can kind of cause a stir and mix things up when it comes playoff time, which I think is really interesting. I also do believe that they're one of those teams who can give you problems defensively. With their defense, they can hinder an opposing team's offense, especially if they're bought in and they're focused on it. I, I firmly do believe that you have versatility at the two and the three, you know, or even at the four, if you put Jason Tatum at the four, whatever the case is, you know, I feel like they have certain pieces that who knows who honestly knows with, with, I, I, we talked about this so many times and I said, I know, I know I said I wouldn't bring up, you know, the, the main teams we've been talking about, but I'm still not fully convinced on the nets. Do I believe that Boston can be that sleeper pick? I say yes, they can be, but only because Miami is not the same team that they were last year, which pains me to say because everybody knows I'm the biggest Heat fan. Nevertheless, I do think especially if Boston continues to get healthy, the more they play together, they're finding that chemistry with one another. I think with the, the bench pieces that they do have, them getting quality minutes, getting quality playing time now, that's going to matter in the playoffs. So even though Boston is on a nice little run right now, I still think you know they're going to be solid at that four spot. Um, I don't see them catching up to Milwaukee. It's very likely... They could play the Hawks. The Hawks have given them problems in the past. You know, if the Hawks stay at that fifth spot, my hope is that Miami moves into the fifth spot so that it'll be an exciting first round. You know, you have Boston versus Miami. I think that would be fun. One of the other teams that we don't talk too much about, we don't give enough credit to, unfortunately, is actually the number one seed in the West, the Utah Jazz. You know, I've noticed that them being completely and fully healthy is a game changer compared to what it was last year. And we're seeing it this year. Like, they, they're just guys all around just stepping up. Like, I know, you know, there's, there's, some, there's been some downs the last few games, but... Like I always say, you can't ride, you know, the losing streaks. You can't ride the winning streaks. I think they'll be ready come playoff time. Um, I thought it was interesting that my boy, D. Wade, is now part of the ownership team there in Utah. He's ready to contribute and bring success, more success to that organization. So I think that'll be interesting. A lot of people were questioning why he didn't do that with Miami. And um, from – the, I guess as Nat would put it, the Reddit research that I've done, not really on Reddit, but on social media. A uh, few years ago, Miami did offer him, you know, an ownership stake, but he turned it down. Uh, he wasn't really ready at the time. 
somebody that is part of the Utah ownership team is somebody that D Wade has gotten close to that he's looked up to when it comes to business management. He's really looked up to this individual when this individual, you know, boss stakes to be, you know, part of the ownership team. He encouraged D Wade to join him. D Wade did. Um, and that's where we are now with, with Utah. Uh, that was the the whole thing with, that was probably the biggest news coming out of Utah this week was D Wade now being part owner of the Utah jazz, you know, much props to him. I hope for nothing but the best, you know, for Utah, they have great fan base. They have great, great players. And I do believe they're going to hold on to that one seed. Let's see how deep they can go in the playoffs. Now the, the team that's fighting them for that first, first seed is Phoenix, the surprise team of the season. I think personally, they're currently sitting at the two seed. Man, I, I I would not have expected them to be doing this well. And I'm kind of mad at myself for not seeing it. And I say that because a lot of people, for example, Phoenix signed Chris Paul during, or they, they traded for Chris Paul. A lot of people, myself included, were like, oh, you know, that's a great pickup. I don't know if they're going to go deep into the playoffs. I think in my preseason rankings, I think I had Phoenix sixth, something around there. Here they are sitting at two. And I've learned you can never doubt Chris Paul. Last season, you know, for you know the NBA last season, he was traded from Houston to OKC. Everybody swore that OKC was going to fall off the map, that it was just wasting one of Chris Paul's years. That was going to be his decline. No. What did Chris Paul do? He put that team on his back. He guided those young players. He told them, this is what we're doing. This is how we're playing. We're going to be successful. And they were pretty darn close to getting further into the playoffs. I think they could have honestly beaten that Houston Rockets team. And they very well would have faced the Lakers. And who knows how that would have played out. Lakers probably still would have won. I'm channeling my inner nat-nat there. But regardless, one player, Chris Paul, changed that organization around. When everybody, myself included, did not believe in them. This year, he gets traded to Phoenix. And it's a completely different team. And I could not have thought of a better fit for Chris Paul to go to. I At first, I was like, oh, man, why is he going to Phoenix? He should go to a contender so he can get a ring. He should go to L.A. He's proven everybody wrong. He's like, hey, you know, I don't I don't need to be teamed up with these guys, like, you know, my friends or these other mega superstars. I'm going to do it right here. And this team is playing great. They're playing great offensively. They're getting help from everywhere. CP3, you know, just recently passing Magic Johnson in assists. You know, he's controlling that offense. He's running that offense. He's setting the tone offensively. I'm sure he's doing the same defensively. You got guys who they were good last year, but have been taken to a whole nother level this year. And we saw that when Chris Paul was in OKC last year with SGA, with Dennis uh, Shooter, like just being able to guide players. And he's doing that here in Phoenix, which is what they needed. And he's doing all of this at the age of 35, 36. 
when typically most point guards, they start to fall off in their late 20s, early 30s. You know, we talk about the longevity of LeBron James. We talk about the longevity of, you know, some of these other great players. And we hardly ever mention Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's been doing it for a long time now and doing it effectively, doing it efficiently, year in and year out. So my question, you know, if Nat and Lawrence were here, I would ask, who's the tougher matchup, Utah or Phoenix? And, I, you know, the more I think about it, there's something about this Phoenix squad. Right now, as of right now, you know, Tuesday, April 20th, I would give the edge to Phoenix, even though Utah's at that one seed. I don't know. I think I think Phoenix can make some noise come playoff time. Mainly because of what Chris Paul's been able to do with that team. With that said, I, we have a shortened hot take for this week's uh, podcast. We'll save some of the other stuff for next week when we have Lawrence and Nat with us. But I kind of wanted to end the show with this hot take. You know, every year there's MVP voting. We talked about and we discussed the MVP probabilities many times on this podcast over the last few months. But we also understand and we know that there's also like spots for MVPs. Like, you know, there's the overall number one, who's going to win it. And then there's other players that get votes, you know, for the second, third, whatever the case is. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you my top five MVPs for this season, starting with number five, who we just mentioned, Chris Paul. His numbers are not staggering. His numbers are not eye-popping. But nevertheless, what he's been able to do with this this young team, at the age that he's at, how – the Suns went from not even being in the playoffs last year to all of a sudden they're the number two seed, could potentially make it to the number one seed. What a turnaround, honestly. What a turnaround. So I think CP3 deserves some votes. Somebody else who I think deserves some votes, even though his team is not doing so hot, but just by the sheer numbers alone, you have to include Steph on there. You just have to. Look at the pieces around him. Look at the pieces around him. And yet he's still able to carry his team to victory. Night in, night out. I know there's, you know, not necessarily night in, night out. You know, they, they do lose quite a bit. But the numbers that he's putting up with the pieces that he has around him, I seriously think he should be an MVP candidate. Not, not to win it, just, an, just a candidate, you know, a nominee, if you will. Number three, I know a lot of people won't agree with this. A lot of people don't like to hear it. There's never been a back-to-back-to-back MVP, but Giannis. This Bucks team is, I don't know what it is. They're they they're nasty. Defensively, nasty. Offensively, they get it done. And I'm mad at myself because in past episodes talking about the Nets and like, oh, you know, Philly's going to stop them. You know, Miami could stop them. Lakers could stop the Nets. 
I did mention, you know, we did mention Milwaukee a little bit, but there's certain players that we forgot to mention. Like we mentioned Drew Holiday being able to stop, you know, for example, Kyrie or James Harden. You have Chris Middleton who could stop either James, James, Kyrie, or Durant. Not stop, but slow down. You have Giannis, obviously, who could help slow down any of those guys. There's also P.J. Tucker. That's what they brought him in there for. Don't sleep on P.J. Tucker, even though he's an old guy. You know, he can still get it done defensively. Um, but what Giannis has been able to do, the numbers that he's been able to put up, I think he should be in that category. Number two, and I only have him at number two because he did miss a good number of games, is Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has just been solid. He's on a mission this season, and all season long, just a solid double-double, like almost guaranteed. Both ends of the floor, you know, he's going to give it to you offensively. He's going to give it to you defensively. He, great footwork. He spread, you know, he can roam on defense, cover a lot of ground, alter shots. I think he's number two, but number one, as of right now, it's got to be Jokic. You know, last night he almost had 50 points. He had 47 points, 15 rebounds, 8 assists. And I read, I heard earlier that the last person to put up, you know, a 40 and 15 with 8 assists was in 1996 when Akeem Olajuwon did it. You know, so you're talking 25 years ago was the last time this was done. He's shooting efficiently. He's putting up bonker numbers while shooting effectively just like you know Steph at the same time though he's crashing the boards and he's getting assists so statistically speaking you cannot argue that Jokic doesn't deserve to be the MVP you know like there's knock on his like defense and stuff like that but that's not what this is you know this is not defensive player of the year this is MVP and I truly do believe that he should be the MVP this season Um, before we go, before we sign off, before we plug anything, um, I just wanted to just give a quick shout out. We started the show with, you know, boxing. I'm going to end the show with a little bit of football. Uh, I just want to just show appreciation for Alex Smith, who just recently retired from the NFL. He was somebody who at one point in time was considered a bust. Then he got a, finally got a good coach who, was a great quarterbacks coach while playing in San Francisco. He turned that franchise, not turned it around, but with him at the helm, put the 49ers in a position to make it to the Super Bowl, and they did. Unfortunately, it was Colin Kaepernick who took his starting spot because Alex got injured. After that, he ended up going to like Kansas City, Played in Kansas City, but as we all know, Kansas City drafted Patrick Mahomes. He had success in Kansas City. He goes to the Washington football team. He has a good, solid start with that team. And then all of a sudden, he has that horrific, horrific, tragic injury. His leg is almost amputated. He has like 17 major surgeries, something like that. And this guy had the courage and the love of the game to come back and he even started in like five games last year. Basically, not I won't say on one leg because he was able to come back and he was cleared to play. But yes, it was basically one leg. 
And every time he stepped on the field, everybody was just like really scared. Like, is he going to get hurt? But he played effectively. He helped that team get into the playoffs. Um, He did not start in the playoffs. But nevertheless, just to know that he was able to do it, to know that he had the courage and the braveness, the love of the game to do what he loves most. You know, shout out to him, props to him. I've always liked him because growing up, I was a 49ers fan. When he turned his career around in, in San Francisco, I was I was, uh, I was, was really happy for him. And I'm happy for him now. He gets to enjoy the rest of his life, you know, with his kids, his wife. So props to him. With that said, I just want to thank everybody for continuing to listen in. We hope to have you all back next week. We're going to have Nat and Lawrence with us. So we get the regular crew back, maybe get a little bit more banter, more debating. So until then, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch you next time.